Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Right, so happy to be welcoming singer-songwriter Jamie Lawson to Headliner Radio. How are you, Jamie? Uh, very well, thank you very much. How are yeah, you? brilliant. Good, thank you. Uh, where are you today? Uh, home, Manchester. Oh, Manchester. How long have you been living in uh, Manchester? Um, let me think. About uh, seven years now, I think. So moved here from London, uh, and I'd been in London about three years before that. Mm. You're originally from Plymouth, part of the world, is that right? That that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so was the move to London for music, and then yeah, do you fancy I mean, before, a change from London, as a lot of people do. Well, uh, before London, I was in Cornwall, and um, mm-hmm. I kind of like I really love Cornwall. Uh, you know, I used to go there on holiday and stuff like that. Um, but there's not much music scene, really. You're certainly never going to mm. get discovered in Cornwall. So I kind of moved to London, and um, uh, that 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 was why that happened. And then um, I met my wife in London, so she's from the Manchester area. So we kind of moved back here. It was you know half the price for a for yeah. So, you know, London's expensive and you yeah. always think you're kind of, oh, I can't leave, there's too much going on here, this is where the industry is and all those things. And then I left, I didn't miss it for a second. I still don't. Um, I don't even look forward to going to London anymore. <laughs> it's just so stressful. <laughs> and yeah. Manchester's a great town, you know, it's it's kind of, it's uh, less rushed than London and people say hello to you, but most music comes through Manchester too. So, you know, if you you want to see bands, they're, they're probably going to come here. Even international bands will probably do a Manchester stop. So it's a, a good place to be for that. Yeah, it's a great point. Often bands on tour, that will be their kind of northern date of the tour, exactly. won't they, in Manchester? Because yeah, that's obviously the biggest city up north, isn't it? Yeah, Manchester or Liverpool, you know. So it's even, you know, Liverpool's an hour away. It's not far. Mm. Uh, brilliant. Um, would you mind just introducing yourself for any who might not have crossed paths with you in your music yet? Yeah, it'd be great to hear. Um... I am Jamie Lawson, uh, a singer-songwriter. I have made five albums now, mm. uh, two recent EPs, and uh, I'm actually working on my sixth album as we, well, not as we speak, obviously I'm talking to you, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm writing songs for that now. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, we've touched on this already, but kind of, yeah, how is it growing up on the coast and was was music part of that upbringing and growing up? down around Plymouth? Or? Um, it, it kind of wasn't, it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of music in my house until my brothers, I have two older brothers, and then they started bringing music in. Um, but my parents were not overly musical. They listened to, uh, my dad would listen to Radio 2 a lot, which wasn't very cool at the time. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, my brothers started bringing in the Smiths, the House Martins, um, and then some Michael Jackson stuff. And I fell in love with all those bands and all that music, and I kept with it. And um, I got into music quite heavily from quite a young age for that, I suppose, and was quite obsessive, um, which, you know, spend all my pocket money on records and things. Yeah, amazing. So did you move to London at quite a fairly young age at all to pursue musical how did that well, all... I did, and yeah, sorry you mentioned moved... Cornwall as well didn't you yeah I've moved around a fair bit to be honest um you know the full uh, the full listing would would be something like London when I was about 20 21 I stayed there for maybe eight years 
you know, just kind of struggling playing on the songwriter circuit, playing any kind of open mic that would have me. And then um, I'd met a guy called Mark Dignam from Ireland and he, he invited me over to do a show in Ireland. And I went there um, and, and that went really well. And so I started going back and forth to Ireland and eventually moved to, to Dublin for a year um doing shows over there and then moved back to Cornwall then moved to London and then moved to Manchester wow so sort of playing lots of gigs around all these different places yeah always trying to find you know a foot in the door somewhere when I moved to Ireland it was not long after David Gray had taken off and um Damien Damien Rice Mm -hmm. Um, so it was kind of a really strong time for songwriters there and and I did I did all right. You know, I was playing opening for some really good um big acts there, like Mundy and the frames and things like that. But um I also in, in moving to London I had to get a, uh, sorry, in moving to Dublin I had to get a job. I and I got a job in a record shop, Tower Records, if anyone knows it, which I, I quite enjoyed, but uh it started taking up all my time. And I realized after being there a year, I hadn't played the guitar for about a month and thought, well, that's not why I moved here. So I, mm. I literally kind of just quit right before Christmas, the worst time ever of quitting a job. I always feel mm-hmm. so bad about that. But um, that's what I did. And um, the kind of only place I had to go really at that point was Cornwall. So um, that's where I went. And I lived in a caravan for a few years. Yeah, I, mean, I was actually in Dublin this weekend and you get such a sense that it's just one of the strongest places to be a singer songwriter on earth surely would you agree it's brilliant but everyone can do it in dublin yeah. <laughs> that's the problem <laughs> you, you are not unusual if you're carrying a guitar in dublin no everyone was jumping off the tram or the bus with a guitar strapped there exactly back i noticed yeah um yeah i mean so we touched on this but um it just feels like you've gone down the really tried and true path of just doing as many uh sort of shows tours open mics as possible is that accurate is that decision you made quite early on when you started taking music seriously do you feel I suppose so. I mean, coming from Plymouth, it wasn't really the sort of um, thing that you would do as a living anyway. I wasn't really sure you could make a living out of it. Um, but I had friends in a band and they moved to, they were moving to London. So I kind of jumped on their, jumped on their tails, if you like, and, and moved up with them. Um, and I, I started playing places like the 12 Bar Club and um the cashmere club i started meeting those people um if if you know of those venues and and they was really good and i i again i opened for some really cool people but um it was a it, it was, it's interesting because obviously i didn't really have any success for quite a long time and yet there was always just something there that kept me kept me going there was always like the, you know the carrot on a stick or whatever and I, I'd open for some actor I loved and thought well that's brilliant if I can do that then you know I must have something or you know there was always just something that kept me going so I'm, I'm very glad that I did but it did take a long time to to get through oh of course yeah I mean this might be a sort of romanticized view of pursuing music that way but I just imagine it's kind of the opposite of doing salesy sort of marketing online and Facebook adverts and all this thing it seems more like just you know turning up at pubs or cafes or whatever and playing and it seems like the main thing is you're making friendships with other musicians and people that own the places and it seems to be more about the actual human connections the way I see it than um 
anything Perhaps. else. I mean, that, that, that would be romanticizing it a little. Less <laughs> yeah. And there was a fair amount of time where I had nowhere to live amongst all that and was just crashing on people's floors all the time. And, you know, I would get to six, seven o'clock in the evening, not knowing where I was going to stay that night. So um, there was a bit of that too. Um, but um, you're right. You do get to meet people. You get to meet like-minded people. I certainly, you know, I, I would see bands that, at my level suddenly take off um like Damien Rice who I mentioned I knew quite early on I knew Damien quite early on and then Turing Breaks took off uh Lucy Rose was another one Tom Baxter mm. um you know there were so there were these people that I knew um doing the same thing I was doing and and suddenly going and I thought well it's only a matter of time surely <laughs> mm. but it was, it was a lot longer than I expected um you, you you don't kind of make your way that way anymore you do have to have uh you know a hundred thousand followers on instagram or something and you know a million plays on spotify already it's i, I would almost argue it's tougher now than it was then well yeah i was gonna say on the flip side of that romanticized view i'm sure were there sort of times where it would get to 4 p.m and you wouldn't have much money in your bank account and you'd think do i really want to turn up at this place tonight where there's going to be like i don't know four or five people Stood there, much, probably yeah. probably the other musicians yeah. and did you ever really question it because it sounds like you really stuck at it for a very long I time did stick it? at it yeah i didn't have any other option i'll be honest i, I can't still i cannot do anything else mm. <laughs> <I'm pretty useless. laughs> uh, I, I know how to play the guitar i can sing okay and i can write songs um apart from that i, I don't have a lot going for me for me to do. <laughs> um I, yeah i was just very stubborn very stubborn and I wasn't overly obsessed with money. I have to admit, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't something I was reaching for. So it didn't bother me that I was poor, as long as I did have something to eat. Yeah, but those moments must be. If you compare yourself now to then, that must be quite grounding to remember. Obviously, you've got huge streams, etc., all the glamorous things now. But um, <laughs> is it helpful to remember those moments where you were just? Yeah, doing these open mics and things and not playing to many people. And it's almost worrying. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, that 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 poor boy, what was he thinking? <laughs> um, but I mean it, it's more I guess there's more of a sense of uh pride that I kept going at it. And then when obviously I, I had some success and especially when I won an Ivan Novella Award, there was a um what's the word? A val a valid uh, what's the word? Validification, that's not hmm. it. What do I mean? Um, oh, I'm reaching for it as well. I can't, <laughs> but yeah, there was a certain amount of um, well, I was right about it, yeah, sounding ar arrogant. Hmm. You know, there was, you know, if I can if I can win an award like that, uh, that's voted by peers at a very high level, it's, it's one of the best things ever, to be honest. And yeah, I was very grateful for that. I feel like this leads us nicely to Mr. Ed Sheeran, who I don't know if it came for you meeting him first or just signing with his label, but it just feels like there's a similar trajectory where he used to sometimes miss the last train home and have to crash very much, somewhere yeah, very I mean, unglamorous. And he talks a lot about the 10,000 hours rule, doesn't he? Yes, he does. To make it in music. In. I would say he put his in in about three years and I put mine in at about nine years. He worked harder than I did. <laughs> Well, I've, I've read that it typically takes 10 years to achieve that. So he did it on steroids, it seems. He really did. He was all over the shop. But, and I'd, 
again, I had mutual friends that knew Ed and I met him once before he was successful um, and admired him immediately. He played the A-team on the, on the night I saw him and I thought, well, that's very, very good. Mm. Um, and I remember saying hello and sign, saying, oh, you, you remind me of Nizlopi and um, he took that as a big compliment because he was a big fan. Uh, and he, he said he really like, wasn't expecting that that night. I'd played it that night. So mm. that's where we first met. So there is some truth in this romanticised notion because you met Ed Sheeran and you paid him a nice, sincere compliment. I think it sounds like that stayed with him and you ended up signing to his label later when he became I, obviously this yeah, global superstar. I mean, that, that, mm. that came very much out of the blue like four or five years later. Um, how he remembered me, I have no idea, but uh, I, was on, I was in his head somewhere. Yeah, I mean, presumably he remembered you being nice, didn't think that probably helped that he thought you were a nice guy, didn't think you were a horrible person. Possibly. If you'd spilled his drink or something, maybe he he wouldn't have... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. ...signed you or whatever, yeah. Um, Yeah, but so how how did that come about, signing with the label? You say it was pretty out of the blue, did you? Yeah, it was. He was on the the second album, which uh, was the Multiply album, I think, and he did a secret gig in Dublin. There's a, a songwriter room in Dublin called the Ruby Sessions. It's brilliant. Mm. And I'd played that a few times. He'd played that a few times. And then he, so he did that secretly one night. Um, and he asked those guys to ask me to open up for him, which was very sweet. Um, and again, it was, it was one of those things, you know, it was short notice, which meant the flight was expensive. And I had to, we'd just moved to Manchester, my, uh, my wife and I. Mm. Uh, it meant, you know, that it was like half the rent. Was, you know, can mm. I afford to go in and open Fred? And it was it was kind of decided between us that we should do it because, you know, that's a good opportunity. Or, and in my head, I was just thinking, well, it would be great to see Ed again. Someone's really done something brilliant out of where we were. And I would love to say well done and um, congratulate him and just see how he is and how his head is because I can imagine that messes you up a fair bit. And when we met, he was exactly the same. He had more tattoos. Mm. But apart from that, <laughs> he, he was the same, same guy I, I remembered from that one meeting. He was just really lovely, very down to earth um, and said some really nice things. And it was a great night. We, um, I opened for him. He played for ages. We sang songs at the end of the night. Um, and it was great. It, it was from there that he kind of said, I'm doing this tour. Maybe you could just jump on my bus, do 20 minutes at the beginning of the night and you know, why don't you just come with me? And that's what happened. And that was a really lovely thing for him to do. He didn't have to do that. Yeah. Was this one of the stadium tours you did with Ed, sorry, that you were alluding to? No, th- that would be um, an earlier arena tour. Like he'd be playing the MEN in Manchester or mm. uh, I think I started with him in Birmingham or Leeds or something like that. Yeah, no, it amazing. A big tour. That was, you know, biggest shows I'd played. Yeah. Um, did, so signing with Ed's label, did that feel like a big, breakthrough moment or had you already been with labels or was this like suddenly you had the power of you know well i guess i've been a, a on label a couple behind of labels you. Mm. um before that both very small uh one very bad um <laughs> so uh, it was definitely a step up for me and immediately just the work level went up you know just ridiculously and everything was we need this yesterday which i couldn't understand but um that's how it works. <laughs> so I had to really kind of, you know, step up my uh, ethic, which, you know, having done as much as I'd done and been doing it for so long, it was 
easy enough, I suppose, you know, it was like, oh, I get it. I know what I have to do. I just have to do it. And then we have to do it now. So, um, you know, we made the album very quickly uh, in 10 days, I think. And then, um, you know, the, the, the vocal for wasn't expecting that was a real uh, strange one. And because when I came to record it in the UK, I had a cold and it didn't work. So, and then I was starting a tour with him in Australia where we were going to launch the song. Um, I think we had about three or four days in Australia before the tour started and I had to record the vocal for it when I landed. Um, and then it was being played on the radio like five nights later. It was bonkers. It was bonkers. Mm. So, um, you know, things like that seem to happen all the time. No, amazing. I mean, I wanted to ask, I wasn't expecting that. It continues to be ridiculously successful. But do you have a sense of why that song in particular is connected so powerfully with you know people all over the world so many people as well only in from the kind of messages i get a lot of people saying it's their story it's just you know it, it reminds them of their relationship and uh, so a lot of people have it as as their wedding song um and then you know on the other side of that a lot of people say this was just played at my partner's funeral um this is what happened and I think we all know someone who's gone through something like it very similar, if that makes sense. That was a very badly put sentence. But um, as I was writing it, I knew a couple of people that were uh, going through cancer specifically, um, one of whom didn't make it out, you know. So um, mm. it it just seemed to touch a nerve in that way. We do all know someone. So... Um, I think that's why, really. I, I always thought of it as a very happy song. It, this, this life this couple have, uh, it's a long life together and, and they get everything they want. And I love the um, the sweetness of how, the, you know, the singer is always surprised by this thing that comes along that everyone else has. It's, you know, they get yeah. married, they have kids. Most people do that. I mean, it's just like the biggest, biggest uh, wonderful surprise to him in the world. I, I, love, I love that about it. Mm. Um, just in terms of you recently, so you, you released Freedom last year, and as you mentioned, you're writing an album now. I just wanted to ask how all that's been, you know, in the present circumstances, and especially as we've touched on, you've been basically a performing musician for decades, I'm presuming. So, um, yeah, how's it been yeah. doing? Yeah, just the more behind the scenes stuff, I suppose. I'm sure you've been playing more recently, but yeah, how's doing an album and releasing that song? Yeah, how's that been? Um, well, it's, it was, I mean, specifically the pandemic, the lockdowns, the last two years or so have been very, very tough. Um, live music has all but disappeared. Um, the tour you mentioned that I did with Deacon Blue, um, like I tested positive for COVID on the second day of that tour and had to go straight home. Mm. Um, all in all, I missed um, 14 shows, I think, on that tour because a few more shows got pulled in Ireland due to COVID and then the last two shows got pulled because of COVID in Scotland. Um, so I did barely half the shows. Um, so it's still a very uh, touch and go time. You know, it's a very uh, nerve wracking time for live music. Um, having um, as much time. Well, it's, it's a, it's a strange one. I, my wife and I had a child just before the first lockdown, <laughs> our first boy. Mm. And um, 
so you know I, I generally didn't have a lot of time to write songs <laughs> it was always trying to sneak them in while he was asleep or while he was out for a few hours or something like that you know um so it's been it's been interesting to say the least but it's definitely definitely been hard no of course um and then very exciting is the um an acoustic round tour that's coming up in may I believe. yeah um so firstly it's got a very interesting kind of format or concept to know what's the right word for that but no, that um, could you be, tell us that would be right yeah it sounds amazing can you tell us about how the show actually works it's a yeah, of course. So there's uh, four singer-songwriters on stage at the same time. Um, we basically take a song in turn as, as you go around. And um, we will, you know, kind of share stories behind the songs, um, how they came about, etc. And, and then, you know, pass it to the next person. So um, it's not, it's in Nashville, they do these uh, songwriter rounds where the, the writer of the song will get up uh, and they do this. This thing has been going on for years. They're, they're brilliant, brilliant things to watch. Um, mm-hmm. Ours is a little different in that it's the artist, but in, in this case, it's, you know, all the artists are writers of their own songs. So it still works in the same way, I suppose. Mm. But um, you'll get a little bit of, um, hopefully a little bit of crossover too, of, uh, you know, playing on each other's songs or a bit of harmony from the other, the other acts and stuff. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, they're, they're quite relaxed evenings you know they're 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 really gentle intimate things and and they they can be very beautiful so um i you know i'm doing it with uh gemma hayes who i'm a huge fan of irish songwriter uh laura zocker who i I suppose is the uh, the more unknown artist among the three um but she's an incredible songwriter and richard walters who's also a brilliant songwriter so um i I think it'll be a really uh, great night out uh, and I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed that people come out for it. Mm. Yeah, I got to interview Richard um, during the first lockdown. I think it was a great guy to yeah. speak to. Um, but it sounds like it's going to be this amazing camaraderie. I mean, you're, so you you never, literally none of you ever leave the stage during the show. It sounds like you're all exactly. there together. It's not like the usual thing where you're stood in the wing, maybe exactly watching them, maybe that. not. But you're actually all yeah, there yeah. experiencing it together. It sounds amazing. Yeah, we get to we get to hear each other's songs every night, which is is fantastic, especially for me being such a big fan of the others. So um, yeah, it, it should be really nice. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it, it's hard to tour, you know, as a solo act, as a, a songwriter. It's quite hard to tour, and and um, it's it can be quite lonely. So it's nice to kind of be mm. sharing that um, sharing that journey with the other three. Yeah, cause besides the songs you're playing. Um... Uh, it sounds like I love the idea of the sharing stories and I'm sure there'll be loads of laughter in the actual gigs themselves. It just sounds wonderful in that sense. Are you expecting that kind of thing as well? Yes. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess none of us have done it before, so we don't quite know how it's going to go yet, but it, it won't take long for us to settle in and, and work out how it works. You know, everyone's mm. uh, very talented. And it's a UK tour, right? So what kind of, which places are you playing? Which place are you most excited to play or you're just equally excited for the every night i suppose or yeah i'm, I'm just really glad to be getting back out again um you know i, I obviously did that tour with deacon blue but um it's you know before that it's been a long time since i played but uh we're doing manchester and london uh bristol birmingham so um yeah i'm looking forward to london that'll be union chapel 
that's a, an amazing, amazing venue. The stables in Milton Keynes, that's a lovely venue too. So, um, and we're starting in Manchester on the 16th of May at Stoller Hall, which I am yet to go to. It's a new venue to me. So, um, uh, I'm looking forward to that too, but I know, uh, Seth Layton played there recently and John Smith. So it must be right up our street. Yeah. Well, I'm very optimistic for you because, um, I suppose that'll be basically summer, won't it? So it won't be flu season anymore. And Yeah, hopefully um, we'll be out the worst of this, this yeah. thing. Um, I think the science says COVID will be getting even more mild by then. So right. I'm optimistic for you, big fingers crossed, just in case, because you never know. Thank but, um, you very much. <laughs> never know what's coming, but yeah. yeah. Right. Um, well, anything else coming up? Obviously, you've got, are you just deep into this album you're making? and Where are you at with that at the moment then? Well, I've got about 50 songs so far written for it. It's been an interesting process in mm. in, in writing uh, the way I've written, as in, as I mentioned, not having a lot of time every now and again. Um, I'm just kind of letting songs come out. Uh, they're far more instinctive than they have been for a while, and that's been really nice because you kind of get to learn a little bit about yourself and what's going on underneath, mm. just letting your subconscious work a bit more. So there's kind of two different sets of songs uh one is uh more folky acoustic and the other's more uh up tempo and indie-ish i suppose um mm. and so far they don't seem to be working very well together so it's quite possible that there's two albums here um so i'm kind of focusing on the the folkier side of things at the minute um and mm. that, it seems to be coming along quite nicely you know i'm quite happy with all the songs that are there so far i'm doing another writing trip next week uh with my th- friend tim ross um and hopefully we'll get a few more songs for it i mean if you've only got 50 songs it sounds like you're not quite working hard enough on this i know um, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah no it's disappointing yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing that must be tough some hard decisions on which songs to keep and which songs to um yeah i mean of, often it's it's a case of what fits together best you, you might even lose one of your favorite songs just because it sticks out a little bit you know i'm very much a fan of the album and listening to the album from start to finish and you know as a kind of story arc I suppose um so I like songs to work together um I don't want to just have a song on there because I I you know because I it, it for some it does something you know that there needs to be a reason for it to be on there so um uh, yeah I'm, I'm happy with uh what I what I have what is together at the minute um the 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 writing week uh, we'll hopefully bring up a couple more options and hopefully that will get recorded this year. Brilliant. Um, and then while the red carpet's still out, where would you send a complete newbie to your music? Would it be to say a song or an album for the best possible introduction to what you do, would you say? That's a good question. Cause I think maybe um, it can be quite broad. Like some people like the more up stuff and some people like the more down stuff. Mm. um so it's a tough question really i mean maybe i'd just send them to wasn't expecting that or cold in ohio or something like that mm. oh, amazing. What you mean. Is, that, is that what you meant yeah just yeah. whatever springs to mind first is usually the best answer i i find so that's amazing um oh brilliant well thank you jamie for talking to us and um ah pleasure uh, Thanks for yeah asking. no worries I urge everyone to go and check out the anacoustic round tour and it sounds like there'll definitely be a show local to most people in the uk as well so um yeah all the best yeah. on the tour and the album it sounds brilliant thank you very much thank you all right lovely thanks jerry cheers headliner radio supporting the creative community